Hello, David. Since we spoke last week, so much has happened. Where do you think we stand now in terms of the economic and financial consequences of the spread of the virus? Hi, Alex. Well, you're right that I think over the last few days, we have witnessed a step change in government and central bank response to the developing health, economic and financial crisis that's spreading across the globe. In order to slow the spread of the virus and reduce the peak number of deaths, governments across the world are taking actions that are really um, unprecedented outside of wartime. Most of Europe is now in lockdown with widespread closures of businesses, uh, people confined to their homes. I think the UK and North America are uh, uh, quickly following suit. Financial markets are continuing to struggle to cope with the consequences of uh, a global economic shutdown. I do think that after a slow initial response, governments and central banks have and are meaningfully stepping up their efforts to provide support for businesses that face a sudden stop in cash flows and to workers that are facing reduced hours and uh, layoffs. I, I think governments in Europe and in the US will have to provide more fiscal support uh, and I think that's going to be forthcoming as they uh, you know, support the economy as well as the uh, increasing their health policy response to the uh, crisis. The health and economic crisis has triggered a financial crisis that central banks led by the Fed are responding with liquidity injections and support uh, that we haven't seen since the height of the global financial crisis more than a decade uh, ago. I do think the latest announcement by the European Central Bank to buy an extra 750 billion euros of government and and, uh, European corporate uh, bonds is, I think, at last uh, a response from the ECB that matches the scale of the crisis. But until there is evidence that the crisis, or rather the virus, is being contained, so that means its, its rate of growth, the rate of spread is you know, sustainably reduced, I think investors and policymakers don't really know how long and how deep the economic recession will be. If, and and it still is an if, Italy follows the pattern of China and South Korea after they introduced quarantine measures, the spread of the virus, which is slowing, but will slow much more from here over the next uh, week or so. And I think that will then provide a sort of template for the rest of Europe and North America, which are, you know, a further two to, to, to four weeks later. Do you think that the beginning of the end of this crisis will be in a few weeks, followed by an economic and market recovery? Um, unfortunately not. I, I, I think it could mark um, the end of the beginning and provide some form of stabilisation uh, to markets. And then we could get clearly a, a, a bit of a bounce. But governments are going to keep these various, you know, virus suppression measures in place for uh, several weeks. I think they are going to be very concerned about relaxing some of those measures too soon and, and having another flare up in terms of the spread of uh, the virus. I do think, therefore, that the, you know, the assumption of a short, sharp shock to the economy and then a return to uh, normality is the uh, virus is contained, and this all happens within you know several weeks. Is I think 
you know, pretty optimistic in my opinion. Um, I don't think the virus is, is, is going away you know, very quickly. I think it will be sort of hanging there in the background, obviously, as scientists continue to work on a vaccine. And I think there are going to be restrictions on businesses and, you know, uh, people um, of one form or other for quite a long period of time, hopefully not as stringent as they currently are. But in other words, I don't really see a, a very quick return to normality. So I uh, you know, still think there's going to be a pickup in, in growth, economic growth in the second half um, of the year, just after the very sharp falls, which are clearly happening over the next couple of months. But I think economic activity will remain subdued potentially for quite a long period of time. I think that, you know, the scars from the economic and financial fallout from uh, the virus, I don't think are going to heal quickly. We were told that the financial system had been made much safer after the global financial crisis. Why are some commentators now suggesting that we're again facing a financial crisis? Well, it was certainly the case that in, in, in 2008, the global economy went into a deep recession because of the blow up of a over-leveraged, you know, under-regulated um, financial system. But... Today is very different. I think the global economy is coming to a halt because of the measures to deal with the um, health crisis. And that is then causing volatility, dislocation in financial markets. So banks, which were the epicenter of the global financial crisis back in 2008, no longer, you know, the problem that if arguably they're actually this, the, 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 part of the solution for limiting the damage to the real economy uh, by being a channel through which governments can provide support to businesses and households. I also don't think it's the same degree of you know, leverage amongst the investors and in credit instruments as there was in 2008. That being said, in the search for yield, investors have taken on, I think, more liquidity risk more generally. We, we, we saw that with the shift into uh, private markets and, and, and assets. And I think the dislocation and violence in markets right now is reflecting a huge demand from uh, corporates, but especially from investors for liquidity. You mentioned dislocation and liquidity in markets. What's been happening in fixed and credit markets? I do think one of the you know, disturbing features of this uh, development within uh, markets uh, globally is that the world's most liquid, most important market, the market for U.S. Treasury securities, has actually been dislocating and liquidity has uh, dried up. So we've seen dislocations on the prices between on and off the run securities, between cash bonds and uh, treasury futures. And, and, and these things don't really happen in the treasury market because they very quickly in normal times get arbitraged away. So we've, we've, we've been seeing illiquidity and disruption and you know dysfunction um, in uh, the treasury market, the most important market, I think, uh, in, in, in the world. The Fed has responded to that. I think the Fed's announcement that they are going to uh, provide $500 billion of liquidity into the treasury market through uh, bond uh, purchases 
uh, I think will help ensure that the treasury market does return to being a well-functioning and uh, liquid market. There's other measures the Fed are doing, such as buying mortgage-backed securities, supporting the commercial paper market, which is an important source of liquidity to companies, backstopping uh, money market funds, I think is a positive response to investor and corporate demand for liquidity. Uh, In credit markets, disruption is being caused by uh, volatility and uh, illiquidity. You know, as an example, uh, the credit spread on short maturi- maturity uh, U.S. investment grade bonds, with you know very little near-term default risk, have seen you know quite a dramatic widening as uh, investors uh, want cash. And and as we discussed last time, Alex, credit in emerging as well as developed markets is also having to adjust to the ongoing collapse in oil prices. I do think when we have so much volatility in government bond and equity markets, uh, credit market liquidity inevitably dries up. That is going to continue to cause dislocation. I think mispricing, some of which I think does represent potential investment uh, opportunities. It is still possible to execute uh, trades, uh, but transaction costs are high. Uh, our traders are having to work very hard to find uh, counterparties on the uh, offer as well as on the uh, bid side. It's obviously a very fast-moving and unprecedented shock to the economy and markets. What is the path to stability? Well, I think, as we've discussed, a necessary condition uh, for stabilisation for the economy and and therefore for financial markets is a containment of the virus. Until the health crisis is effectively addressed, the economy and markets ultimately, I think, cannot sustainably recover however much uh, interest rates are cut and liquidity pumped into the system. The, The lockdowns clearly are going to, or hopefully will slow the spread of the virus, But there still is a huge amount of uncertainty as to how long uh, those measures will be in place, the risk of uh, renewed outbreaks, and what will be the permanent economic damage. In terms of credit, I think there is value being created for investors with the time horizon and liquidity to be brave where others are fearful. But I think the bigger picture is that the, the global economy is coming to a screeching halt. There is going to be a unprecedented contraction in global economic activity over the uh, coming month. The consequence of that is that credit risk across the economy has gone up sharply, and markets are struggling to absorb and transfer that risk. I, I do think that governments are effectively going to have to take quite a lot of that credit risk, particularly uh, from the corporate sector, onto their own uh, balance sheet. And until the scale of that credit risk has been sized and is in the hands of those who can bear it, I think we're set for many more days and, and weeks of uh, volatility. But once the virus is under control, markets will begin to see the, the, the beginning of the end of this crisis, I think they will therefore, you know, as forward-looking, stabilise more quickly than, than the economy. So we're, we're closer to that point, 
but we're clearly not there yet. Thanks for your time again, David. I look forward to our next discussion on latest developments and outlook. This podcast is issued in the United Kingdom by Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, which is authorised and regulated by the UK Financial Conduct Authority, registered with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and the US Commodity Futures Trading Commission, and is a member of the National Futures Association. This podcast may also be issued in the United States by Blue Bay Asset Management LLC, which is registered with the SEC and the NFA. Past performance is not indicative of future results. Unless otherwise stated, all data has been sourced by Blue Bay. To the best of Blue Bay's knowledge and belief, this podcast is true and accurate at the date hereof. Blue Bay makes no express or implied warranties or representations with respect to the information contained in this podcast and hereby expressly disclaim all warranties of accuracy, completeness or fitness for a particular purpose. This podcast is intended for professional clients and eligible counterparties as defined by the FCA only and should not be relied upon by any other category of customer. Except where agreed explicitly in writing, Blue Bay does not provide investment or other advice and nothing in this podcast constitutes any advice nor should be interpreted as such. No Blue Bay fund will be offered except pursuant and subject to the offering memorandum and subscription materials the offering materials. If there is an inconsistency between this podcast and the offering materials for the Blue Bay Fund, the provisions in the offering materials shall prevail. You should read the offering materials carefully before investing in any Blue Bay Fund. This podcast does not constitute an offer to sell or the solicitation of an offer to purchase any security or investment product in any jurisdiction and is for information purposes only. No part of this podcast may be reproduced in any manner without the prior written permission of Blue Bay Asset Management, LLP. Copyright 2020, Blue Bay. The investment manager, advisor and global distributor of the Blue Bay Funds is a wholly owned subsidiary of Royal Bank of Canada and the Blue Bay Funds may be considered to be related and or connected issuers to Royal Bank of Canada and its other affiliates. Registered trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. RBC Global Asset Management is a trademark of Royal Bank of Canada. Blue Bay Asset Management LLP, registered office, 77 Grosvenor Street, London, W1K3JR, partnership registered in England and Wales, number OC370085. The term partner refers to a member of the LLP or a Blue Bay employee with equivalent standing. Details of membership of the Blue Bay Group and further important terms which this message is subject to can be obtained at www.bluebay.com. All rights reserved.